0: Traffic, 40, 41,
1: uniform, party 11, welcome to Soaring the Sky, glider pilot's podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck, I'll be your host, and today we welcome Jason Stevens to the podcast. Jason was born in 1973 in Anchorage, Alaska. He is a CFIG, commercial, SEL, and MEL professional glider instructor and owner of Arizona Soaring, the largest glider school in the United States. Jason first soloed a glider at the age of 14, started glider aerobatics at the age of 18, started teaching glider aerobatics professionally at the age of 21. His first glider aerobatic competition was the IAC tequila cup in 1999. He is a six-time U.S. National Glider Aerobatic Champion in the Advanced One Unlimited, placed 20th in the 2007 World Glider Aerobatic Championships, placed 11th in the 2014 World Glider Aerobatic Championships, and an invited participant in the 2009 World Air Games in Torino, Italy. Jason also was the stunt pilot in the Hollywood hit 50 Shades of Grey. Jason literally has been flying sailplanes and gliders nearly every day for the last 20 years. He often flies to work at Estrella Sailport in his A1 Husky and then spends the day in the back seat of a 233. During the winter months, most of the time is spent teaching glider aerobatics in his MDM1 Fox, which is the most capable two-seat aerobatic glider in the world. Even though aerobatics is his passion, Jason enjoys teaching the basics of glider flying to new students all around the globe. Jason Stevens, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you today. Thanks. What
2: started your aviation journey?
0: For me, I guess it was growing up in Alaska. I'm in Arizona now, of course, but I grew up in Alaska. I was there until I was 13, and then I moved to Arizona. And my dad had been a pilot, an airplane pilot, uh, since his college days in California, and We always had a couple of airplanes in the backyard. Uh, We lived on a lake, so we had a a Helio Courier on floats that we kept at the house. And we had a a Super Cub that was on wheels in the summertime and on skis in the winter. And my brothers and I all grew up flying around all over the place, uh, going fishing and going to our cabins and adventures like that. So that's how I really got uh, started in aviation and hanging out with lots of pilots and watch an airplane fly by every day.
2: So, yeah, you you literally grew up with it all around you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Extremely fortunate.
2: Yeah, very cool. Yeah. What turn of events caused you to get into aerobatics? Because you are an aerobatic instructor, correct?
0: Yeah, Uh, let's see. So uh, the first year that we were here in Arizona, my dad uh, sold his construction company in, in Alaska and moved this to Arizona when he bought... Arizona Soaring uh glider school here at Estrella Airport near Phoenix. And for my fourteenth birthday, uh which was a couple of months after we moved here, uh, Les Horvath, who started this company, he was still here helping dad run the place for the first couple of years. Les who uh who is a really famous aerobatic uh glider pilot, he took me for my first aerobatic ride.
2: And oh, wow. uh
0: and that kind of got me hooked on glider aerobatics.
2: That did the so, trick, huh? Uh,
0: yeah, no, that, that set the hook pretty firmly and, uh, started me on the path of wanting to, to be an aerobatic pilot. And, uh, when I was a little bit older in high school, uh, what, my junior year or senior year, I forget. That's when I, uh, finally took Les's introductory aerobatic course. That's when I started, uh, doing quite a lot of glider aerobatics at that point on, from that point on.
2: Now did, when you did the aerobatics, did you start out with powered or you just, you went right to the gliders? Nope.
0: Nope. Started with gliders.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: and I've got very, very little experience in, in airplanes doing aerobatics. I've got an RV 4 home built that I do some aerobatics in, but not much. And, uh, my buddy Rob Holland, who's a, a real famous power aerobatic pilot, he took me for a flight in his extra 300 one time. And I got to see what was similar and what was different between the gliders and the, and the airplanes with aerobatics. But for the most part, I've just done glider aerobatics.
2: And what was the big difference for you with the powered aerobatics comp- compared to the glider?
0: Uh, I mean, obviously, the roll rate is quite a bit different. Uh, the roll rate is, is quite rapid in the higher performance, uh, aerobatic, uh, airplanes. But the, the, you know, I don't know. There's feel is different from some of the gliders to some of the airplanes. But surprisingly, the extra 300 feels pretty similar to my aerobatic glider, which is, uh, a Fox. The, the feel on the controls is actually very similar. Certainly the airplanes have more ability to vertical lines a lot longer than than a sailplane can, but uh, you know there's there's I don't know there's a lot of similarities too.
2: Now where does the Fox Redline at? Far uh, it
0: speed? is 100 and 152 knots.
2: Oh, nice. So
0: yeah, so it's it's quite high for for a sailplane, but it's quite a bit lower than what most airplanes would be redlined at. Yeah, uh, right. it can pretty easily build up enough energy to do all sorts of. Maneuvers, but without thrust, you just can't stay on a vertical upline for a long time like you can with a, a high end airplane. Right. And on the downline, of course, you're very limited in time on how long you can stay on the vertical downline because of, of speed buildup. You know, the sailplanes are much, much cleaner than than the airplanes. And especially the airplanes, when you throttle back to idle, there's a lot of drag from the propeller. So they can spend a long time on the vertical down, and the sailplanes. Are accelerating much too rapidly to spend much time on the vertical down.
2: That's very interesting. You know, I didn't think about that, but it makes sense with the prop slowing yeah. you down. But that's is, that is really cool. Yeah. So one of your students is actually competing on the world stage now in Romania. Is that correct? Yeah.
0: Yeah, Laura. Yeah, Laura Radigan's over in Romania uh, right now. She just got to the contest site, I think, yesterday. And she's getting settled in and, and meeting everyone. And, you know, I had some other. Uh, You know, responsibilities uh, come up that uh, I had to take care of, so I wasn't able to to go to the contest this year myself, unfortunately. But Laura's going to have a a great contest, I'm sure, and and represent our country very well, I think.
2: Yeah, that must be very exciting for you to keep an eye on. We're actually keeping an eye on it, too. The the podcast, of course, interviewed her on an episode a while back, and actually she mentioned you and had a conversation about her training with you. I got to ask you, as as an instructor, sure. what's one of the toughest things that you run into with a brand new student teaching them aerobatics?
0: I think a lot of it depends on how their initial instruction was given, I mean with the, the basic flying instruction in that, that some people some instructors really spend a lot of time focusing on how to be relaxed physically in the cockpit and how to be smooth on the controls. And that's very important for aerobatics and other instructors maybe don't spend as much time on those, those physiological, uh, items as, as they should, I think. So if somebody is, is tense and kind of ham-fisted and, and gripping the control stick tightly, they're going to have a much more difficult time flying the aircraft, uh, well, whether it's, you know, landings or doing rolls. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the biggest challenge, but I, I help people with that and we can use to get them on track pretty easily after a couple of days and get them loosened up and, and flying a lot nicer. But that's probably the biggest challenge at first. It's so, not motion sickness, it's not, you know, fear so much. I think it's overall stress level is, is probably the main thing.
2: So that it's light on the touch, doing a lot of aerobatics, I mean that's what you yep. say that's what you have to learn. Yep
0: yeah if you watch like videos of like Bob Hoover fly or something, he's not using a lot of muscle power you know the the really good pilots are are smooth and they're flying with nice varying amounts of pressure on the controls, not with a lot of muscle power. I think if you want to fly really well, that's the the path that you want to take
2: now. What do you think about when you're in a competition? Do you think about the competitor or do you focus on other things?
0: Yeah, I try not to think about the other pilots at all. I think, like a lot of other activities, the real competition is yourself. And that's, that's pretty much what it comes down to because it's not an oppositional activity, let's say like, uh, baseball or basketball or something like that or soccer. It's an individual type of competition, so it's important to not think too much about what your opponents have done in the past or are going to do or how well they're flying. Maybe watch them fly to see if there's anything you can learn about the strategy that they've used in their aerobatic sequence or to see how the weather is affecting them, them, the, the wind or uh, other factors like that, and then incorporate that data into your plan for your flight. But for the most part, you need to focus on doing the best job that you can do and stay positive and try to minimize your stress level. That way you can devote as much of your attention as possible to the actual act of flying the the maneuvers as
2: cleanly as you can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess the other other competitors actually could be a distraction if you thought about that rather than, I guess, concentrating, like you're saying, on what you're doing.
0: Yep. And you know, the the flights are all pretty similar, you know. All the pilots can do all the maneuvers that they're asked to do by the judges. And it's a difficult thing for the judges to to score the different flights. And that means the difference in scores between all the pilots is generally pretty small. It's it's pretty competitive. So you just can't let any external things creep into your brain and and negatively impact your performance. And that's easier said than done. It's hard.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I can understand that. So out of all the flights, whether it be aerobatic or just out on a weekend, flying the glider, if you could pick one of those many flights, because I know you've had a lot of flights, what would be one of the most memorable?
0: That's a good question. I would say, well, there's a couple. I mean, one of the flights that I had at the World Air Games in Italy back in two thousand nine, that was really fun because the the last flight of that contest actually worked out better than I thought it was
2: going to. Oh that's <laughs> uh, always a good thing.
0: Yeah. I don't know. But I've had some pretty awesome flights here at Australia practicing aerobatics and ridge lift along the, the Australia Mountains. That's really fun. Uh for I don't know. It's hard to to have one really stand out individually, I think when you're flying, you know, multiple times, just about every day.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I understand. Every
0: week, but, uh, you know, there's some of the flights that stick in my brain, actually, the most are the from my childhood, where I can still visually replay, you know, one time we took the Helio out, you know, into the the bush, and we landed on one of the big rivers, I think it was the Little Sioux, and then taxied into a little, you know, creek that feeds into it, and then we took off out of the creek. And you know you've got these sixty, seventy foot birch trees on on the sides, and it kind of winds around, and you got to lift off out of the water, and then wind your way through the the creek as you get up and over the trees. You know that sort of thing is really burned deeply into my my psyche. I think more than the stuff that I did as a pilot. I think when you're a passenger, sometimes it's easier to retain a, a clear memory of a particular flight as
2: weird as that sounds, I guess. Yeah, I get that. I mean being up and flying sometimes, you know, for me I'm concentrating then when I land I'm like, okay, try to think back of remember the things like right. you know, seeing a hawk or something like that in a thermal, but yeah, to yep. to pull that, it's like, okay, the flight was it was it was a good flight, but <laughs> you know Yep. <laughs> I understand you were at the controls of a glider in the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. Can you tell oh, yeah. me how that came about?
0: Yeah, so that was that was really a fun
2: fun thing to do. So let's see, who called me? I guess it was Chris
0: Clicks, who used to be the, the D G dealer up in uh the Seattle area. Uh Pacific Aerosports is, is his company. Okay. And uh uh Chris and I have known each other for a long time. He asked me if I wanted to do this movie thing. And, of course, nobody could tell anybody exactly what movie it was at the time. Yeah. Not that it really mattered, because any any movie would be super cool, right? So yeah, right. <laughs> it, yeah, he said, well, you know, a, a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, one of my former aerobatic students, owned a, a GG-1000. And so one of the producers, I guess, called Chris and said, hey, we want this movie, we want this particular type of glider to be featured in it. Do you know of anybody that would let us use one for the movie so he called our mutual friend he said oh yeah sure use my glider but i want jason to to be the pilot so that then chris said oh yeah that sounds great so he called me and i said sure let's let's do it let's make it happen and run it by the insurance company of course and and they signed off on it and next thing you know we're buying plane tickets to go up to vancouver and
2: shoot the film so that was it how did how did that feel to walk on a, on a set? I mean, I've never experienced that, so what did it feel like?
0: It, it was really, it was kind of really cool and really bizarre at the same time because we did the first part of the filming uh, at a small little rural airport just outside of Vancouver, and little grass airfield, very quiet, basically nobody there, right? right. And we, we checked the place out the day before, and it's like a ghost town, right? Like nobody's there. It's kind of foggy, whatever and then we work up the game plan for how we're going to do the flying the next day. Go back the next day, and there's like a couple hundred people doing all the different things that they need to do, all their different jobs. There's trucks everywhere. There's cameras on these giant movable crane things, and it's amazing the army of people that it takes for a production like that. And I had no idea it was really that complex and required that many people And, uh, that was really eye opening. Of course, being Vancouver in February, the weather was kind of problematic. I think it was February or March. I forget. It was, it was cold and damp. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, the weather kind of sucked for a bit and eventually it cleared and we were able to fly. And, you know, I I gained newfound respect for actors too because we were in this little shack on the airport, right? Uh, The actors and, and us pilots and some other other people, and it's cold in there, it's not heated, it's miserable, and we go out and do their flying, and then the actors had to do their their scenes with the aircraft on the ground outside
2: okay' kind of right.
0: like cold and drizzly, and they were out there for like hours right doing their their work and you can't see it in the film because they do something to get it into rain and whatever, but it was it must have been miserable, and none of them.
2: Complained at all, so they, they really were tough. They put them in the canopy then
0: no, they were like standing outside and and next to the aircraft, and then some of the scenes were with them in the aircraft, and
2: okay, like, I got they you. didn't get to do
0: any flying, but right you know, just to be standing around in that weather for hours at a
2: time was challenging, <laughs> so you had better conditions <laughs> really than they did
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was not much fun as far as the weather went but. You know, it all worked, and the flying footage turned out awesome. We ended up having to relocate to uh, Arlington, Washington, for the last little bit of the air-to-air footage. Oh, nice. Uh, the weather was a little bit better there, and uh, the footage turned out really spectacular, I think. So it was it was really fun, but it gave me a good uh, understanding of how that industry
2: works. So did you go to the premiere? We saw it in the theater when it opened, yeah. Okay.
0: So... And we stayed all through the credits and then saw my name in the credits. That was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that, that, what a, what a cool experience. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yep. Everybody was super nice, very pleasant to work with. So, yeah, it was cool.
2: How do you prepare for an upcoming competition?
0: Oh, that's, that's a tough one because I, you know, as a small business owner and a father of an eight year old, I don't have a whole lot of spare time for preparing for contests, unfortunately. So I get in as many practice flights as I can, uh, which usually is not very many, especially compared to my buddies in Europe that get to do lots of practice flights, you know, dozens of practice flights before a contest. I'm I'm usually lucky to get, you know, five or six practice flights. You know, it's it's always that, that balance of getting your other responsibilities taken care of and then with whatever time is left over, uh, try to prepare as well as you can so you can do as well as you can at the contest. And, uh, you know, it's always a challenge, but, you know, I just accept it as, as a challenge that I have and just go for it anyway. You know, if you let things be in your way, then you're never going to do anything. Right. So yeah, you just do your best and, you know, if the contest goes well, great, you know, if it's not perfect, well, you know, you're still getting to spend a week at a contest with all your flying buddies and hanging out and having a good time and you know you try to be better next year. So what I kind try of to have a positive outlook.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it's a, always good to have a positive outlook for sure. Life is a lot easier and a, and a lot more fun. <laughs> yep. What kind of Gs are you pulling during your contest?
0: Uh, let's see. So in the un, unlimited glider category that I fly, uh probably the most negative g's that'll i ever push are maybe negative four negative five something like that uh positive g's I usually try to keep it in the four to five and a half range. The aircraft can can handle a lot more g than that, but the problem, especially the sail planes, is that it's very wasteful of of energy so If you're pulling a lot of Gs, let's say you're pulling, you know, six feet, six and a half, a lot of times you're going to be shedding a lot more altitude than if you're pulling four, four and a half. So you only have a certain amount of altitude with which to do your routine. So being efficient in how you use the Gs in different maneuvers is really important so you don't end up out of altitude
2: uh, before you're done with your sequence. Oh, yeah. Very important for sure. Yep. So you're flying the Fox right now?
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got an MDM-1 Fox
2: that uh, we've had since uh, 2000, year
0: 2000, I guess.
2: Yep. And could you describe the Fox a little bit?
0: Yeah, so it's the, the, the current top-of-the-line uh, aerobatic sailplane that's uh, still in production today. It's a two-seat aircraft, so this is what I use for all my, my teaching of aerobatics here at Arizona soaring. Uh, it is a 14 meter wingspan, so it's relatively short span for, for a two-seat sailplane. Uh, but that gives it a really exceptional roll rate, which is, which is really handy for aerobatic. It's built in Poland. There's a, a small factory over there in Poland that, that builds these aircraft in addition to some other types of aircraft that they, that they make over there. Yeah, it's really, it's really awesome. It's, uh, it's got a conventional tail as opposed to a T tail like most sailplanes have. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's really fun to fly, but it's not a super easy going type of sailplane like your typical, you know, ASK twenty one or something like that. It's definitely kind of a hot rod, high performance, high wing loading type of machine, but uh, with proper experience and training. It's
2: super, super nice to
0: fly. It's definitely my favorite sailplane that we own.
2: Now, what makes the tail different? What is that? What's the advantage being an aerobatic? Well,
0: you basically don't see too many aerobatic aircraft, whether it's a sailplane or, a, or a, an airplane with a, a T-tail. I think you'd have to ask an engineer why a conventional tail is stronger, but I think it, it probably handles, you know, torsional loads on the tail boom better. With uh, the horizontal stabilizer being mounted down low, yeah. as opposed to up on top of the vertical, that'd be my guess. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Uh, but it's yeah, it's super beefy, but it's also uh,
2: you know really clean and and fast. So yeah, it's it's a great machine. Now, if somebody wants to come out and get some lessons there with you at Arizona soaring. What would they need to do?
0: Well, we do everything here from from primary instruction through uh advanced aerobatics. So whatever they want to learn we can typically help them with. The only thing that we don't do is we don't do winch launch training and we don't do motor glider training. Uh oh. but we do everything everything else. Oh very and, nice. And uh yeah, so and we train people from all over the world. Most of our students are here to get one of the different ratings, FAA ratings. Uh probably two thirds of our clients are, are doing add on ratings, so they're adding a glider rating to their existing airplane or helicopter uh, pilot certificate but we have a lot of people that are just starting from scratch and still
2: too. now there's so, not a lot of aerobatic schools in the u.s from what i understand is that correct
0: yeah not too many uh there's a couple of us so like uh, our friends at the williams soaring center in california they teach aerobatics they have a fox as well okay uh, you know i do a lot of it here you know there's a a couple of places around the country where you can go but you're correct in that there isn't that many places where they have either the the proper aircraft or the proper staff to to adequately teach aerobatics that's where we come in you know people most of our clients are coming here from out of state anyway so you know that's that's a pretty common thing to go to a certain destination for a specific type of of training that you're looking for
2: yeah now that brings me to my I guess, last question. What advice would sure. you give a student pilot or someone that, you know, has flown a lot on how to be a better, not only better pilot, but how to be a safer pilot?
0: I think that is an excellent question.
2: <laughs> so,
0: you know, like like most groups, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking that goes on with pilots, I guess, and, you know, what what people should do or not do and, and that sort of thing. But after being in the industry for you know, 30 years now, I guess, a little over 30 years, I've worked with lots of students, I would say that it's really important to always have the philosophy that your objective for each flight is to get home safely. That's the objective, not doing a certain distance, not, you know, finding a thermal and staying up for three hours or whatever. The, the true objective for each flight is to get back home in one piece and do it nicely. That's the objective. If other things happen along the way, ah, eh, that's great. That's great, you know. But I think a lot of people take their their focus off of this true goal for the flight, and they get so preoccupied with this other, you know, these other goals that they have that they lose focus on safety and proper, prudent decision making. I think it's also very important to understand that even when you're flying by yourself, you're not flying. And what I mean by that is we all have family at home. Some of us are married. Some of us are married and have kids, people that depend on us and worry about us. And it's easy to forget about these people when you're up there soaring by yourself. You know, most of the sailplanes are single seat. You think that your decisions during that flight only affect you. And the reality is that's not true. And I, I think more people need to consider who else is influenced by your decisions as the pilot, even though they're not physically with you at that time? You know, because we want everybody to have fun with flying or rock climbing or sailing or all these other cool activities that you can do on this planet, right? And we want to be able to keep the industry strong and vibrant, and that requires safety and good decision making by the people doing it. So I guess that you know, in a broad stroke, that that would be my strongest advice is think about that when you're flying.
2: That is some great advice for sure. We definitely have a lot more people involved that you just don't think about.
0: Yep. They watch too many of these guys on YouTube and other places doing dumb things, and, you know, it's like, man, don't do that. Don't be that guy (laughs) (laughs) or lady or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. Have fun with it. Make sure you keep your aircraft in one piece, and you'll be in one piece. And then, you know, everything's going to be great for many, many, many years. And that's uh,
2: that should be the goal. Some great advice. Jason, thank you for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. has been good to have you on the podcast, and the listeners appreciate it, of course, hearing you and hearing your journey.
0: Yeah, My pleasure. It's been really fun, and uh, I'd be happy to chat with you again sometime in the future. Sounds good. We will check back with you. All right. Awesome, man.
1: And thank you for joining us right here on Soaring the Sky. As always, if you check out our website, soaringthesky.com, you can check out some pictures that Jason shared with us. And while you're online, the SSA.org, a great place to find out more about soaring. We'll be hanging out with the SSA also this year at Oshkosh, actually coming up very soon. So if you happen to be in Oshkosh, stop by and say hi. Love to see you there at the SSA booth. We are on social media. You can find us at Soaring the Sky Podcast on Facebook as well as Instagram under the same name, Soaring the Sky Podcast. If you're a glider pilot, you'd love to share your story. I'd love to talk to you. You can give me a shout. Just drop me an email, chuck at soaringthesky.com. We hope to see you back right here next time with another great guest on Soaring the Sky.